Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Amanda Bible Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers, and we are kicking off a brand new study this week. It's called The Kingdom of God. And boy, I'm excited about our guest. We have Matt Chandler with us today, and he's kicking off the study week one. We're going to talk about the King. We're going to talk about Jesus and the kingdom. And my goodness, he has so many good things, not just to say, but to teach us and to encourage us and challenge us in. Matt is, as you may or may not know, he's the lead pastor at the Village Church in Texas. He's also part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. And what we love most about Matt, well, maybe not most, but we sure do love about Matt, his wife, Lauren. She was a guest for the uh, Mark study, and um, you probably heard that episode. If you didn't go back and listen to that, she has so many good things to say. But for right now, stick with us because this is going to be an episode you will want to hear. Let's go. Well, Matt, you have a tough act to follow. Yeah, we had You're Not the First Chandler to be on our podcast. Oh, Elsie, it is true (laughs) that I am Lauren Chandler's husband. Yeah, that's how yeah, people describe me true. now. It used <laughs> I mean, to be that I pastor the village, or right. or that I'm president of this. Now it's just Lauren Chandler's. Oh, the woman that wrote the number study. Yeah, yeah, her. You're her yeah. husband, or so Audrey's dad, or yeah, Audrey's just, dad. That that's yeah. around here quite a bit too. I feel like that. I love being Hazel's mom. I love being known for my kids. It's sweet. <laughs> that's it's so sweet. good. Well, yeah. So we had Lauren on for um, Lent. We yeah. went through. Mark, Mark. first yeah. week of Mark. Yep. Did the Mark study. Oh, yeah. it's so good. So, you know, that's this is what you have to follow. Is okay, a lot of pressure. <laughs> that was a good episode. <laughs> so <too>. much pressure. <laughs> well, we're so grateful to have you. And just we know that if I understand correctly, this is a topic that you all have studied. You've like, oh, yeah. preached through at the village and Absolutely. on the kingdom of God. And so I'm excited because I feel like this is a topic that we as the church and as believers peripherally know or just kind of like vaguely know, but yeah. it's it gets a little tricky when you start to drill down into specifics. Mm-hmm. It really does. You know, of like, okay, what is the kingdom of God and who is the kingdom of God and where is the kingdom when and, yeah. you know, what's it like? And so, um, and I think a lot of times we can think of it as heaven, yeah. you know, yeah. and like glory, mm-hmm. but it's because of Jesus, it's, mm-hmm. it's here yeah. and now. So we're going to talk about all of that. I'm excited. Um, Yeah, so this is going to be a, just for you guys who are tuning in, this is going to be a three-week study, Mm -hmm. and it's in two parts. Yeah. So this week, we're going to talk about the already and not yet kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. so kind of what is it, and then the two weeks after that, we're going to talk about life in the kingdom. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Spend some time in Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, a Talk lot about of yeah. what it looks like. How now shall we live? Yeah, in light of being citizens of the kingdom. I feel like this is it. Do you think it'd be fair to say, Matt, that the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like the Cliff's Notes to the kingdom of God? I feel like it, it is. There's just no question. It's the operating yeah. manual. This yeah. is there what a person in the kingdom lives like. Yeah. That's good. And it's beautiful. Well, okay, so let's talk about week one, day one. I, you know, we're just talking about the forever king. We're talking about Jesus. And I, I love when we start in the Old Testament. I love beginning there. And in this case, you know, I think that I especially like where we started in 2 Samuel because it's like some really key people. Like we've got God talking to David about Jesus through the prophet Nathan. And it's just kind of going like, hey, there's a lot at play here. And it's the context of this passage in 2 Samuel 7 is David going like, I want to build a big house for God because I've got a nice house and God should have one too. And God's like, hey, Nathan, tell him this, you know, let him know that I actually have bigger plans. Yeah, it's. I think the thing that God is continually trying to do around the kingdom is help his people in particular understand that the way it's going to look is different than they think. Uh, That we continually, I mean, even the fact that we've got King David is, it goes back to the people of God going, we want a king like other nations. Right. And, And God going, no, I'm your king. And they're like, no, 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 we, okay, but... We'd rather have a king like the other nations. And then God <laughs> gives them the thing that they want that's not what his ultimate design was, which is him ruling and reigning over us. And, and I know when you get into sovereignty, what I just said, there might have some nuance to it, right? Like God sure. certainly, there isn't a plan B. This is the plan of God. But that moment in particular in the Old Testament shows the thing that becomes most true about the people of God in relationship to the kingdom, which is they want the kingdom of God to mirror 
the kingdoms of this world. We want power and we want Mm -hmm. to be able to exert our will and we want to have weapons that aren't prayer and fasting and we want (laughs) at times to dominate and we want the kingdom of the world and not as, you know, the first time I heard it was Keller, but it certainly predates him, the upside down kingdom of the kingdom of God. And so I love that we're starting because David's doing the thing that we do. It's like, hey, you need, this is what I'm going to do for you. And God's like, well, well, I don't, Thank you, but I don't. <laughs> right. There's another thing happening here, and yeah. so yeah, yeah. Because when you say there, if you were to tell me that there's going to be a kingdom that will rule forever, well, then I automatically think I know what that means. Oh, right. well, they're going to right. eventually like possess all the land. They're going to conquer all the other peoples. Like it's it's power and longevity like in earthly terms. And similar to how, you know, our we have each day, if you have a study book and you're listening, on every reading day, there is the title of the day, but there's also a statement that kind of summarizes the focus of the day. And so for day one, it's the statement is, Jesus came as the perfect eternal king. Well, the same goes for Jesus. It's like he is... If you think of the perfect eternal king, then, you know, I start to have in my mind images of like Greek gods or, you know, just I just the context that we have as humans. And he came as a baby. You know, we're Mm going to read a lot of this, but it's it just not what you expect. And it was very confusing. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was like, and then you're going to die. What? No. Which is, I mean, again, we'll get to this, but is that not I mean, that's the enthronement of Christ. That is the cross as enthronement is how you understand the cross in kingdom vernacular, kingdom understanding is, oh, there he is ascending to on high, not his actual ascension to the right hand of the father, but he is being shown, he is being lifted up as king of the kingdom in front of the world's eyes. And so there are, if you start to grasp this, and it's everywhere in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Man, I think so many of the problems that plague kind of watered down evangelicalism today, the truncated gospel that says all that God's doing is saving individuals, it starts to come in more clear. And then we're not as frightened as some of the stuff that frightens us right now. Yeah. We're able to live that Sermon on the Mount life that Jesus portrays to us. But if you don't understand the kingdom and the gospel is only, and I understand why people get nervous about this. There is a history around this idea that that's gone bad historically, uh, yeah. where people have left the atoning work of Christ and just tried to do the work of the kingdom, where let me do good works, let me work on these social things, or let me do this, and they've left the atonement behind. And man, there's always that danger when you start looking at the kingdom of God to leave the king and try to do the work of the kingdom. And so we always have to be careful when we're talking about the kingdom that it's rooted in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. It's the gravitational pull that keeps us in the gospel rather than spinning off into a thousand good deeds without taking the saving work of Jesus with us. Yeah, it's like I've heard it said, we want a kingdom with no king. We want the kingdom, we want the kingdom vibes, but we don't want the authority. We don't want the the, Yeah, no submission. Right. Certainly no submission. That's not a word we like. Mm -mm. No. Or or you just try to (laughs) help God a lot, right? And he doesn't need your help. Oh. Let me help him do this. Well, he doesn't need that. Might have been listening in on my prayer this morning, (laughs) Matt. That's what. (laughs) Because, goodness gracious, like I just go my own way. Mm -hmm. You know, and in small ways, you know, especially like unseen way, like ways that only I would know. And it just, Mm -hmm. man, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, You said something a moment ago that I want to circle back to if we can. And I know we want to dig in and actually like read some scripture from starting in day one. But I watched the video that you, I guess when you guys did a study or a series on the kingdom of God at the village, and we'll link to it in the show notes, but it was kind of your introduction. And you said in that, that you were talking about the individual view of the gospel and that, you know, to think of the gospel of Jesus as just about saving individuals, it's not, I think the way you put it was it's not incorrect, but it is incomplete. That's it. Because it's in the context of the kingdom of God that we're talking about. Can you expound on that just a little bit? I mean, you just did, but 
it feels so relevant to just our culture of how, you know, it becomes very much about us and especially, you know, in the Western church, especially. Yeah. And if you think about kind of the revivalist movements that's occurred and everything Mm -hmm. became about conversion. And then you had church growth, you know, 20 something years of church growth philosophy in the church. What really became the onus for what American evangelicalism is, or we could probably say Western evangelicalism is conversion. Well, if the end goal of God is simply conversion, then we're all just kind of biding our time until heaven or until glory. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet God's plan is a renewed people living out the kingdom in such a way that we become this plausibility structure for the rest of the world. And by the way, this is not just what God's doing in the New Testament. If you look at where God situated the people of God after they leave Israel, what does he say about them? You will be for me a kingdom of priests. Well, what do priests do? Right, So he situates them right in the middle of the three superpowers of the day, gives them the law, and says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. You will show the nations my wisdom. You will show the nations my glory. If you will obey, then here's my covenant, and here's what I'll show the world about the realest of realities. Now, of course, we know the story. The story goes horrifically bad, not because of the nations, but because of the people of God, because they can't ever really get a sense of the kingdom. So when Jesus comes as the king of the kingdom, like Emmanuel, God with us, when he shows up on the same, it's the same invitation again. You will be for me a kingdom of priests, right? Except now we're not going to situate you here. I'm going to situate myself via my spirit in your soul. And you're going to do the work of priests to the end of the earth. And honestly, I think the major sign of the kingdom at work is that I'm in Dallas right now talking to you about Jesus Christ, and you're in Nashville right now. We're talking about Jesus Christ, and we're a long way from Jerusalem. So how Mm -hmm. did we get here? Well, we got here because the kingdom of God has done, and we'll get to it, exactly what he said he would do in the book of Daniel. Right. So this isn't just like this New Testament thing. This is what we're all caught up in. And again, the reason why, there's a reason why some people swing away from this language. And that is historically when the church feels embarrassed, she will focus on Mm -hmm. social issues and leave the atoning work of Jesus Christ behind. And this is Walter Rauschenbusch and the social gospel movement. Before this, this was the Christianity in Germany pre-World War II as Hitler began to write. Like when the church gets embarrassed, she forsakes the atoning work. She forsakes the king and just tries to do the work of the kingdom. And that's why when people get their feathers ruffled about kingdom language, they're anxious because history has taught us to be anxious here. And yet I just want to argue that history shows us where the landmines are, but scripture dictates our path. So I know this has gone bad, which means I need to, as I preach the kingdom, ferociously preach the atoning work of Jesus Christ for sinners who need to repent of their sins and that all the good works we might do absent of that fall apart in the end because they're built on man and not on the one that really brings about transformation. That's that's good. And we'll see like when we get into the nature of the kingdom in, or I'm sorry, the life in the kingdom, that it's so much about the heart. And so it is like, I think we have to constantly recalibrate and make sure that we have our eyes, you know, on Jesus as our Savior, like the King and our Savior, and on the kingdom. So there's like a looking inward, yes, and then a looking outward and a participating, moving our feet, you know? For so, sure. All right. Well, that, oh, that helps me. I like, I'm yeah. glad we paused a minute. Let's read some, you think? I think so. Let's, I mean, day one really is this beautiful kind of just like, it's a skimming of the whole of scripture, like where we kind of like start there with David and, and then come to, you know, Luke and the birth of Christ and the declaration of Jesus' birth. We get the, the wise men and all of the things, all of these little moments in Scripture that talk about Jesus as King. But I would love to read what we talked about from Second Samuel, mm. chapter seven. Matt, would you read starting? It's kind of middle of verse eleven. Okay, the Lord declares to you: the Lord Himself will make a house for you. 
When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. Beautiful. Now, for those listening, Matt, can you give us like a quick explanation? Because I know that people are going to hear that and wonder when it says, when he does wrong, I will discipline him. Can you give us a little bit of extra understanding on that? Yeah, sure. So there's two things happening in the passage, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and we learn this from how uh, the New Testament writers utilize the Old Testament. This is very much, it cannot mean for us what it does not mean for them, right? Yeah. So in one sense, David's hearing about his son, Solomon, who's going to build this temple. And that when he kind of steps out, like we know he's going to, that the Lord's going to handle that, but not in the way that he handled Saul, whom he cut off and removed the kingdom from, right? But now what ends up happening as we look back upon this passage is we see it's that, but it's more Mm -hmm. than that. Mm -hmm. We also see this sense of a king who's coming that's going to be established in a way that this discipline isn't because he's wayward. But this is kind of the wrath-absorbing work of Jesus on behalf of humanity that's going to establish this kingdom as the one that's ever-increasing and forever. And so it is important to note that this does have to mean something to David. And maybe, as we see in the book of Romans, that idea of propitiation for sins gone past, it's by faith he believes this is happening. Mm -hmm. But certainly Solomon's in view here also. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. And then we go to Luke 2, and we get, you know, the angel saying, today in the city of David. David, there it is. A Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. The wise men come, and, you know, they ask, you know, where is he who has been born, the King of the Jews? And then, you know, it says, I'm trying to like, I don't want to skim it too much, but is there something else that you want to read? I love... Because what I see that you're pointing out, Rachel, is that there are these breadcrumbs. Like we can just follow this yeah. thread all the way through the Bible, but it gets, starts to get really exciting in the New Testament when we see, and a lot of times it'll cue us in by saying, just as it was written or as the prophet said. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all of those like son of David, the lineage of David. And then when the wise men are talking, you're saying that, in Matthew 2, when the wise men are going to come visit the king, and so they're talking to they're talking to Herod, King Herod, and in verse 5, this is Matthew 2, verse 5, they say, In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what, that's where the king is, born in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so there's so much of that. If you read through today's reading, and then even, you know, we've got here the triumphal entry, where we have, you know, this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey. And like this is quoting, we're just going back and quoting mm-hmm. the this Old Testament. This is all in day one. Like this is yeah, a, lot of, a lot of a lot of breadcrumbs to pick up. You got a whole loaf of bread. You got you got the bread <laughs> of life by now. This is true. This is true. <laughs> and so I'm interested, Matt, in like how there is a very real sense in which this kingdom has already was established by God, yeah. the creator, mm-hmm. before the foundation. Like you said, like this is plan A, mm-hmm. and God is sovereign. But we also use language in the study book that says that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom yeah. mm-hmm. when, you know, when he was born mm-hmm. as, you know, fully human, fully divine. I mean, he came as the king and the savior. So it's kind of a both and, which 
kind of leads us to the mm-hmm. already and not yet conversation. Yeah. So help us understand a little bit about that. That phrasing may not even be familiar to everyone listening, yeah. the already and the not yet. I find it very helpful, mm-hmm. but it's also still confusing to me to think like, how was the kingdom already established, but not inaugurated? Sure. Like, yeah. is that semantics? And then what is, is still it, to come? Is it something more? Yeah. 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 So this is where you get into, you know, that scary word of eschatology, right? Oh, that's um, a good big word. It, I mean, it is, right? An understanding of the end times, an understanding of, you know, where does history ultimately conclude and where is Jesus's coming on that map? Because that's what we're talking about, right? At the Mm -hmm. coming of Jesus, the inauguration of the kingdom, and then the consummation of the kingdom, which is, of course, at at the second coming of Christ. And so you and I, we're in that, what's called the space between or the already but not yet. So mm-hmm. Christ has come, our King has come, we have been filled with the Spirit, marking us as citizens of heaven. And so now you have these promises that are either true right now or will be true one day, but they're not mm-hmm. all true right now. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is, let me give you a, a perfect example. And this is where people who are, let me use this phrase, it's not fair, overly charismatic will have an over-realized eschatology. They will talk about how Jesus has died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he died for all of our sickness and all our disease. And so you should expect to be healed. And you, and I want to say, I want you to pray for healing with great faith and great expectancy that God will, but hold that with an open hand because we're in the already, but not yet. And the reason I know that is because Christ died so that I might have a resurrected body, an imperishable body. One that Mm -hmm. doesn't get hurt, one that doesn't get sick, one that doesn't, but I don't have that body right now. I know that. I wake up stiff every morning. I'm 46. I can dangerously hurt myself just sleeping. So I know I don't (laughs) have, right? I know I don't have my resurrection body yet. So for someone to say, man, everything that Jesus died on the cross for is available to you right now is an over-realized eschatology. It does not acknowledge that we're in the space between or the already, but not yet. Now, In the same way, there are those that I would just unfairly call anti-charismatics who have an under-realized eschatology. They may or may not pray for healing and expect it at all. They might simply just mutter, you know, if it be your will, God, without really contending. And so what ends up happening in the space between is that there are things available to the Christian that they may or may not walk in. So I would argue, I even said on Easter Sunday that there's a difference between living in the spirit and walking in the spirit. Okay, like, yeah. So you can be a Christian and not step into all that God has for you because these things that he's calling us into, they don't save you. You are saved. So you're invited into these things, which means I think and preach that there is a power and a presence and an intimacy with Jesus available to people that they may or may not walk in. And so the Christian, by the grace of God, can choose to step into these things that Christ has died and resurrected to bring them, or they can choose not to do that. And then they they live a, I want to be careful and kind. They don't live into all that I think is available to them, which to me as a pastor is probably the most heartbreaking thing I see is someone that has all this spiritual power dwelling inside of them, but won't take the steps of obedience to unleash it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So like, I just believe that like more people, if they would simply share their faith, would experience an intimacy with God, an increase in prayerfulness, an increase in worship, but they don't take that step of faith, maybe because they, mm-hmm. they just don't think they're smart enough or they don't think they're good enough or they don't. So that now we're back at identity, right? You're not a citizen. They're not embracing the fact. No, no, no. I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a mm-hmm. priest in the household of God. That's who I am. And it's okay that I don't know everything about my father and my king, but I can share that I was blind, but now I see. I can open up the Bible and read it with you. Mm -hmm. I can prayer walk my neighborhood and pray over those homes and, and bless those homes and knock on the door and go, how can I be praying for you? Hey friends, Amanda here. At She Reads Truth, our mission is women in the word of God every day. 
And that means all of God's Word, not just the books or verses that feel a little more familiar to us. Now, between the Old and New Testaments, there are 66 books of the Bible, books that work together to tell an epic story of redemption. But understanding how they all fit together can feel like a tall order. So this summer, we're doing something new, a reading plan unlike any we've ever done before. We're going to walk through the Bible book by book to survey the theme of each book of the Bible and learn how each one fits into the bigger picture of Scripture. And we're starting it all on May 31st with our newest study book, This is the Old Testament. Friends, you know we love you, our podcast listeners, so we're giving you a discount code to snag your study book for 15% off and join us in God's Word this summer. Visit shopshereadstruth.com and use the code POD15 for 15% off. That's code POD15. Okay, back to the show. Well, believe it or not, Matt's computer just froze in the middle of, Matt, you talking about the kingdom of God and what it means to be in, to be citizens of the kingdom and engaged in more than just flesh and blood, right? Well, there's certainly a real enemy that uh, hates the kingdom, (laughs) so for sure. You were talking about, you know, Amanda asked at the beginning of the episode, like, what is the kind of who, what, where, when of the kingdom? And you were talking about the who, like that Jesus is the king, but also that we are the citizens and what that means, like what power we have the opportunity to walk into. And then, of course, the computer froze, but we want to like hear kind of the end of that. Yeah, for sure. So we were talking about that idea of the already but not yet, and, right. and yeah. whether you have an over-realized eschatology or an under-realized eschatology, and then what it means to actually live into who you are as a citizen of the kingdom. And I said, that's as right. a pastor, one of the things that's so hard to watch is people who are Christians, they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and yet for a wide array of reasons, don't always step into what we might perceive to just be Mm -hmm. simple obedience that actually ignites the kind of intimacy with Jesus that I think our hearts are hungry for. Mm -hmm. And, And so an example I would give would be like if someone would do like a what I would just call something as simple as prayer walk their neighborhood. Just walk in their neighborhood and they're just praying over homes and they're praying blessings over those homes and they're praying uh, a knowledge of Jesus over those homes. And then maybe that leads to them having a conversation with a neighbor where they just simply say, hey, I've been, man, I've been praying up and down our streets. I've been praying. Is there any way in particular I can be praying for you? I've been praying God bless you and bless your family and bless your work. But is there anything going on that I might? Now, all of a sudden you're actually living out the, the life of a citizen of the kingdom. And I think everything from what you're seeing in the scriptures to what your experience is of the nearness and beauty of Christ begins to change when you start to walk in the spirit as the apostle Paul would command us. Because I think yeah. you could honestly just say walk in the kingdom there. Right, because the spirit yeah. does what? The spirit makes much of Jesus. And what is Jesus? Yeah. He is king of the kingdom. And so I think you could even argue, hey, to walk in the spirit is to live the life of a citizen of heaven. That's right. That's right. I mean, even when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this. Like this. That's right. That your kingdom mm-hmm. come. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. We'd started to tiptoe into Daniel earlier, we but did. in day two, we, we get into Daniel chapter two. Um, Not and all lions, dens, and fiery furnaces. No, and what no. we are, what we are seeing in the day two reading is God's kingdom came to reign on earth in a new decisive way. I like that language, a new decisive way through Jesus. And so we see in Daniel two so much of that language of. It's in the context of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and Daniel is interpreting the dream for him, but he drops some really big truths in this dream interpretation. And so I'm looking in particular at Daniel chapter 2, starting in 44. Right, you want to read? Sure, sure. So Daniel says, In the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. Mm-hmm. And so that all that sounds great. 
but then it looks <laughs> so different. You it know, looks, yeah. if you take that and you like use that as the intro and to you're like, like we're the gonna crush all the, the kingdoms. Mount. Yeah, yeah. If you like use that as the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, it feels like wait, these two things don't go together. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. but they do. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, and again, it's the way of the kingdom, right? As That's opposed right. to the way of the human kingdom. So we we overcome with gentleness. We overcome by praying for our enemies. We overcome, right? We subversively undo by being legitimate citizens of the kingdom, not by trying to establish these earthly kingdoms, which is what the argument is here. Like, And then you've got the other vision that we'll get to where you're just looking at the fact that all of these kingdoms are going to fall. But yeah. there's this kingdom that won't fall, and that kingdom's marked by these things. Start small and can't be stopped versus kind of the violence of a, a fast-rising empire like Babylon or Assyria or the Medes or even the Greeks. That This is, no, 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 it's going to start small, and it's going to yeah. fill the whole earth, and no one's going to be able to stop it. And man, one of the reasons I love the book of Revelation is because it's just testifying, hey, this has happened. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this, what Daniel said was coming is here and it's now. And who can stand in the midst of a broken, fallen world? The people of God can stand. And so I love Daniel and how he ties into what we're going to see happen for the rest of the Old Testament on into the New Testament, all the way to 96 AD when John writes Revelation to the seven yeah. churches. I mean, we talk about it at Christmas time in not in the terms of already and not yet, but in the terms of that we are a people between two advents, mm-hmm. right? The first arrival of Christ in Bethlehem and then the, the second coming of Christ That's right. once and for all. And so as people between two advents, as this these citizens of heaven in the kingdom that is already and not yeah. yet, I when we read Second Samuel, when we read Daniel and we think, oh, they didn't know, but now yeah. we know. I yeah. also want to wonder what we don't know. You yeah. know, like <laughs> I don't look at this and I'm like, well, now we all understand all sure. of this because, but we are, we're between the two advents. Mm-hmm. And right. so there's so much more that we don't understand and we'll one day, we'll have perfect knowledge. Yeah. And one of the reasons I love that already, and I think the already is so important, is we yeah. don't want to get caught just looking up to the sky, right? We we don't want to, certainly the not yet's coming. We were given pretty significant tasks in the space (laughs) between, in the already, but not yet. And so again, this goes back to what I called earlier, either over-realized or under-realized eschatology, where I know Jesus is coming back to rule and reign, but he's ruling and reigning right now. That's right. Mm -hmm. So that is the already, which means I'm not waiting for glory. Now, my hope is ultimately there. But that ruling and reigning is alongside of Jesus when he comes and makes all things new. Right now, I'm a citizen of heaven to live like a citizen of heaven, which means my allegiances are shaped a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's not that I'm not involved in the political process. It's not that I'm not a political person. It's that my ultimate allegiance, and so I've oftentimes said, I've been rebuked a couple of times, but I just think it's true, so I'll keep saying it. I have more (laughs) in common with an Iranian Christian than I do an unbelieving American. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that he, should he be is, true, right? He is far more my brother than the American down the street from me who wants nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah. And so that is, see what I'm saying? The kingdom muddles with your allegiances and it confuses it confuses people in the here and now and even Christians. And that's why I'm, when I said earlier, and understanding the kingdom helps you get past some of the mess we're in. Like some of the mess we're in right now is because our hope and allegiance are in the wrong place. Yes. And we don't even know where else to put them. And we certainly don't think prayer and worship and fasting is going to solve anything, right? But man, my understanding of Revelation is the job of the second beast that comes out of the land is to get me to hope that the state can fix it. And he can't, no state can, no state ever has been able to. So the call on my life is full allegiance to the kingdom of God while being a good citizen and praying for my emperor, right? But my ultimate allegiance, my ultimate hope is not here. And so I need to make sure when I feel the tension of our day, that one of the first things is ask myself, where are my allegiances? Where is my hope? What are my dreams for my kids and grandkids? What are my hopes for them? And then readjust then, hopefully, with a kingdom mindset rather than an earthly mindset that would have me putting all my hope in the United States and her economic viability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I love this conversation so much. It's so convicting because when we do think of and talk about the kingdom of God, we can keep it so much in the abstract. And even just our citizenship in heaven, we can keep that so abstract. But when we look at the ministry of Jesus, you know, yes, he uses illustrations and teaches and tells stories, but he does that using like the examples around him. And Absolutely. he's like boots, like feet on the ground, you know, touching people and having conversations and living out the kingdom. And I'm looking at Matthew 3, which is still in day two, you know, when John the Baptist is kind of paving the way for him, he says, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that is when the kingdom comes near, when Jesus comes near, I love that, that like we repent because it compels you to turn toward him, you know, like we're compelled to turn toward him. And, And Jesus says, and we have this in day two as well, John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world, says Jesus. So like all the understanding that we do have, which mm-hmm. we certainly don't have at all, like mm-hmm. you said, Ray, but the understanding we do have, we have from Jesus, you know, there's and it's so, significant. he's connecting so many dots yeah. for yeah. us. It floors me how often, how confused we can be and how confused the disciples were. But Jesus is often very plain yeah. <laughs> yeah. when he says, and like, here's one of those times, my kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Yeah. And then Pilate, bless him. You know, you're a king, then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you say that I'm a king. Jesus replied, "I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice." And so then it starts to feel a little more like abstract. Okay, well, what does that sure. mean? Mm-hmm. But this conversation gets me fired up because when you have these conversations about the kingdom, we can have this conversation sitting still, but we mm-hmm. better not stay sitting That's still. That's right. Yeah. You know, we've got to move. We got to live. Because what's Jesus doing? He's doing the acts of the kingdom. That's what right. do then the apostles do? The acts of the kingdom. What are you and I called to do? The acts of the kingdom. And here's where, again, you've got to just be so careful here because yeah. what's happened to us is the Western plausibility structure, right? What seems normal to us is the absorption of a ton of information that we may or may not do anything with. So what happens if our discipleship Hmm. is not built on movement, but ascribing to some level of knowledge, then what you get is people who, like the Pharisees, Jesus said, yeah, Yeah. you you study the scriptures in vain because you think that in them you have life, and yet you refuse to come to me to whom those scriptures testify. And so you want to make sure like people see the beauty, the authority, and the good gift of God's grace that the inerrant word of God is, while at the same time calling them to be doers of the word and mm-hmm. not just hearers only, and not not then now tipping over into legalism, but seeing the thou shalts and thou shalt nots in scripture as an invitation into deeper intimacy and seeing more kingdom breakthrough. And like, you're not going to see a lot of people get healed if you're never praying for the sick, right? Mm-hmm. You, you're just not. You're never going to see a lot of people come to faith if you're not sharing the gospel with them, right? You're not going to see a lot of spiritual breakthrough without specifically praying for people that bondage would be broken in their lives. And the answer to those things, like, I don't need you to know necessarily just a Bible verse that you're supposed to share your faith. I need you to understand that verse and then be compelled to step into the invitation to fulfilling God's call on your life. And that that's where I think this theology of the kingdom compels us to get off the sidelines mm-hmm. and get yeah. into the fight. Yeah. Because I think you've got an evangelicalism right now that's really, well, I want to say it's fat-headed. I think that's just maybe in the circle I'm in because all the data says nobody knows their Bible these days. Yeah, but that's right. I think for those who do know the word and who do value the word, they have to be very careful to not then stop there, but mm-hmm. then live out the word of God. So one of the phrases we use all the time at the village is embodied theology. So there must be an embodiment of our doctrine or we don't really believe it, right? We've got it in our heads. We might weaponize it or we might try to control people with it or we might try to get to this end. 
But until our doctrine is embodied, until we're living out what the Lord has shown us about his nature and character, about the call he's got on our lives, what it means to involve in the kingdom, then we're stunted. I don't know that I'd go all the way to being a Pharisee, but certainly stunted Mm -hmm. in your spiritual development. And you go back to have the doctrine, you know, yeah. to have the right doctrine. So That's like, right. maybe we have the doctrine and we're not embodying it. But like, let's even go a step further back and go, you know, like what you were saying, a lot of people, I mean, we have we have an audience of she's right now who are in the word and they, and they desire and they recognize that the way to know God is through his word, right? Absolutely. And through prayer. But there are a whole lot of people a lot of already reached, as we say, who aren't reaching for their Bibles. Absolutely. And and so they don't have even the right doctrine to embody. Yeah. Well, and that's where you, and again, that's where I think that group has a tendency to have an over-realized eschatology rather than an under-realized eschatology. So somebody who doesn't know their Bible will say some really crazy things about what they think God would do or should do or, um, (laughs) and right, they just don't, as David says, they don't quite understand that the boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. And then people who know their Bibles a lot, I unfortunately have found experientially that those are the ones that tend to have an underrealized eschatology, and it ought not be so. And again, I think so this has interesting. To, I, but think I think it has right. to do. Yeah. I think it has to do with the plausibility structure. And I think what seems normal to us, and we're educated this way, or it's a process, and one plus one equals two, yeah. and if you put everybody in the same class, they're all going to learn the same thing, and they're all test to the certain measurement. Well, that. Simply not true, but yeah. it's how we how we perceive it. So I, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of tension here that we just have to embrace, and you got to keep coming back to the atonement, and you have to keep coming back to what God meant in regards to the kingdom in the scriptures. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, who's this king? We're still talking about <laughs> kind of the structure of our kingdom here. In day three, we get a lot of readings that show that Jesus is the Son of God, mm-hmm. has the authority yeah. as the true Son of God, and actively right now rules at the right hand of the Father. So that's our already, right? He is that's already it. king. Mm-hmm. That's right. And we get so many scriptures here. It is just, I love this reading plan feels a little bit like a... Not, I don't want to say greatest hits because that implies that there are lesser <laughs> yeah, hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's got, you get a lot of, you know, just passages that preach yeah. without additional words. I will say, if when y'all get to day three on Wednesday, if you have extra time, your bonus reading, <laughs> read all of Daniel 7, like that whole oh, chapter absolutely. to get the full context. Because we gave y'all in the book just verses 13 and 14, which feel as relevant as we can get to you know mm-hmm. the, the whole stretch of the day. But if you have time, yeah. read all of chapter 7. For sure. Yeah. But um, I mean, even in chapter 7, 13 and 14, Matt, will you read that for us? I will. I continued watching in the night vision And suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Do you believe this is true? Yes. I do. Amen. Amen. May it be. And so that's not Daniel mm-hmm. interpreting a dream. In this context, no. this is him having a vision. The vision. That's it's right. one of it's one of his visions where he's like, and then I had to sit down for a minute because yeah, well. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. Those beasts kind of took it out of him, scared him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what about get, that one? What was that I'll one? Get, I'll get back to the king's business <laughs> yeah. in a minute, but just give me a second. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And we get the resurrection mm-hmm. story. We mm-hmm. get the great commission. And I mean, then, what a good week of scripture reading. And then. Philippians, Philippians 2 and Colossians 1 back to back. Are you kidding me? I'm Come kidding. on. I can't do that. Yeah. That's too much. I just, I love, I mean, how often do we return to both of these? Yeah. And both um, of these were just, this is where we really get to talk about the nature of the kingdom. It's where we right. start to talk about mm-hmm. how it isn't just a, a king on a throne on earth with, you know, yeah. the way that we classically yeah. think of that. So. I agree. It was interesting to me to read Colossians 1, 15 through 23, which is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, if I'm allowed to pick favorites, and I think I am. When I read it through a kingdom lens and Jesus as king lens, I just different 
phrasing, like different things resonated than mm-hmm. what normally resonates when I read it. I'm going to read it aloud for us real quick, yeah. and then I know we need to keep going. This is the centrality of Christ. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Mm. Amen. I love it so much. And that Jesus' victory is a victory by peace, like Mm -hmm. a victory of peace. It just, that doesn't even make sense, like in our language, you know, that that he's reconciling everything to himself by making peace through his blood. And verse 19, where it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, mm-hmm. it speaks then to Philippians 2. Absolutely. Where, where it says, you know, as, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, where we're talking about, okay, what's the nature? What does it look like to be yeah. a citizen of the kingdom? And it says, who, Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. That's the CSB, or something to be grasped, I think, in the NIV. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. This is our king. Yeah. And it goes on. I mean, I, just, I sometimes we just like can't stop reading the scriptures oh, because so they're they're so beautiful, <laughs> but but then it says for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father. So this is when we're talking about the nature of the kingdom, what it looks like to be a citizen in the kingdom, but don't forget that our kingdom has a king. That's right. And I think the significance of his lowliness and that being our example, because throughout the scriptures, what you're beginning to see is that the people of God conquer through worship, prayer, and humility. In fact, one of the things that strikes me about even how John in Revelation is trying to encourage the church that's enduring such brutal, I mean, a kind of brutal persecution, be hard for us to get our minds around. Uh, 96 AD, the persecution's full-fledged on. And in Revelation 14, he says this, this wild, like, Babylon, Babylon has fallen. Well, certainly nobody there at the time is looking at Rome and thinking Rome's fallen. I mean, we're still quite a bit away from Rome falling. And yet the picture that John gives us in that moment is Jesus. It's an allusion to Psalm 2. There's nothing in Revelation that hadn't already been said in the Bible, which is fascinating. Yeah. But he's got Jesus the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. Not Jesus the Lion, Jesus the Lamb. Uh, standing on Mount Zion, right? Which is that reference to Psalm 2 where all nations have, you know, raged against him and now have submitted to his rule and reign. But they're submitting to the slain lamb, Mm -hmm. not the ferocious lion. Now he's yes and amen, he's lion and lamb. Mm -hmm. But John's imagery there is it's the lamb that Mm -hmm. conquered the nations. It was the slain lamb that conquered the nations. And it's his way of asking the people of God in the midst of horrific persecution to endure with humility, prayer, and worship. And those are our weapons. Those are the weapons of conquering in the kingdom of God. Lowliness, humility, prayer, worship, fasting, all the things that people always go, you're just going to pray and do what? You know, it's that that mindset today. But praying Mm -hmm. moves the needle. Worship moves the needle in a way that all the activity in the world isn't going to move it. And I do think if you're actually praying and worshiping and walking in ways that are marked by humility, you're actually going to be doing work in the domain that God's placed you or into the space that God's called you. I mean, I think even you two are examples of that in She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth, right? That you're doing something born of what? Born of worship and praying and the lowliness to go, we don't have, but we know who does have what women need. Let's get them into the book. And so action is born of worship, praying, and humility in the kingdom. And it's how we conquer and overcome. There's not another weapon that we've got that's going to help us conquer and overcome. 
And man, if the church could get back to understanding that. Say that again. There's what a not day. another weapon that we have. <laughs> There's not. Everything <laughs> else now, you're you're doing what Peter did, right? You're pulling the sword. Cutting ears off. That's right. And Jesus is going, hey, put that away. That's not what we do. I could do, I mean, I can call and have angels do that for me. That's not That's not my kingdom. Peter. You're not helping you, me. You already, you already went back to what you think the kingdom should be. So. Huh. I hadn't made that tie with Peter in the garden. Oh yeah, just, he he just immediately like this. He's oh, it's time. So hard. You know, he's Peter. jacked up. He, I love, I love him. him, man. He just oh, makes me, me makes me feel like there's room for me in the kingdom. Yes, there is. When they say, "Go tell the disciples," and and Peter, Peter. and make sure he knows. <laughs> tell him specifically. Tell Peter's going to need to hear this specifically. <laughs> I haven't forgotten him. Thanks, oh, thanks be to God on that. So good. I mean, I feel like that same. You know, just like one, just heavy hitting passage after another and i mean heavy hitting in like a you know a beautiful good true so just so full of truth way we get the same thing in day four where we get to the nature of the kingdom that's right god's kingdom is characterized by service humility justice righteousness joy and peace Mm. and again you know we have a passage like isaiah 9 Two through seven, which we always read during Advent. Mm-hmm. Yep. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. But when I read it looking for the qualities of the kingdom, mm-hmm. it's like exclamation point, yeah. exclamation yep. point. It's not there's, just for Christmas. No, there's yeah. joy, there's peace, there's justice, there's righteousness. All of, you know, our team, when we, they assembled this book and this reading plan, we didn't make up that statement. <laughs> God's <laughs> kingdom is characterized by service, humility, justice, righteousness, joy, and peace. That's reflective of what we see in Scripture. We go to Scripture yeah. and we say, what does the kingdom look like? And, Let's find out. And then that's how we that's how we do our work. We work backwards. We start, you know, we don't start with our idea. We start, so we have an idea, but then we go to Scripture and then Scripture informs. And often change. And always changes, let's be honest. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that passage where we read, you know, the government will be on his shoulders. Matt, would you read it for us? Just even just that, you know what? I know we usually do six, start at six if it's Christmas time. But I feel like that just backing it up even further. You start where you want. (laughs) Oh, that's a lot of pressure. Well, I'm just going to start with two then. We'll just just start at two. Oh, that's what my heart wanted. If we only save Isaiah 9 for Christmas, we are missing out. I agree. I agree. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their shoulders, the staff of their oppressors, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of the armies will accomplish this. This is the Amen. word of the Lord. <laughs> the zeal. So listen, I just the think you, every everyone listening to this should take out their Bible and highlight mm-hmm. the zeal of the Lord of the armies will accomplish this. Right? And that's how you know it's just this isn't gonna fail. Like this isn't gonna fail. Like we we can just stand in such confidence in a day with so much fear and anxiety. And that's why, man, the kingdom, like we were made for this moment. Like we're just built for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we've got this king, we've got the Lord of the armies that's going to accomplish it. So, man, what confidence do we have to stand in what is true and right and good and beautiful and not panic and not grow in anger and vitriol and all the things that we see in our culture, but actually to be established in light and confidence and courage, marked by humility, but also marked by confidence and courage. Yeah. 
I mean, we don't lowercase h hope that this works out. I mean, Revelation, it says right because these words are faithful and true. And like here it says, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. This is happening. Yeah. Come on. Let's go do it. Yeah. It's true. And it has happened. Yeah. So much of what we read just now from Isaiah, the zeal of the Lord of armies has accomplished. It has it. A, yeah. And that's why we really do live in this privileged piece yeah. of human history yeah. where I can just look back and, you know, you can pay 20 bucks and walk through the ruins of Rome. <laughs> I mean, think about that. This is 96 AD. Domitian's just like killing Christians hand over foot. I mean, he is catching them on fire. He's feeding them to lions. He's making them travel to Rome and worship in his temple and pinch a piece of incense, throw it on the fire and call him Lord. And they're refusing and being killed. And now for 20 bucks, a Christian from (laughs) on the other side of the earth can fly in a plane and for 20 bucks walk through the ruins of the Roman Empire. Right? I mean, this just shows you that that vision Daniel sees in Daniel 7 and where you and I sit today, it's just happened that all of these nations that we see as can't imagine this not being here. I mean, goodness sakes, Rome ruled the known world for 1,500 years. Forever. The United States is in diapers, right? right? India to England for 1,500 years. And like, Roads and peace. And I mean, it just the vastness of the Roman Empire. And they're gone. Yeah. No offense to my Italian friends. It's just gone. It's not, it's not the Roman Empire anymore. It's right. ruins. Mm-hmm. But not us. Like our kingdom has grown. That little rock we're not only here smashed all the other ones. And in Dallas. And we're but still talking about this. That's this right. Jesus. And the, the biggest revival going on in the world right now is in that 1040 window, right? It's happening in Iran and Iraq. And you're just seeing like the church explode in what we call a closed country. And there's no such thing as that to the Lord, right? He just right. laughs Amen. at that. Oh, this country's closed. Too bad. Yeah. 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 Maybe later. Well, I, sometimes I feel like we're closed, like because yeah. of our hearts, like our mm-hmm. hearts are hard and... Yeah, I mean, we we need to be on our knees praying for the coming of the kingdom. And I that's agree. why our allegiance is, goes back to what you were telling us kind of on the front end of the episode, Matt, that our allegiance must, as followers of Jesus, it must be to Jesus, yeah. the king, because it cannot, everything else, no matter how much we love it, everything else will pass away. Our country. I love our country. I love America. <laughs> it will pass away. My, my hope love, is not in America. I love my husband. Yeah. He yeah. will pass away. I mm-hmm. love being a mom to my kids. Like, I love this work that we I do. I felt for sure yeah. you were going to say you loved me. I do love Rachel. You were just, uh, you got to be after the kids, Rach. You can't yeah, be before right. her kids, right? But after her <laughs> kids, that's not yeah, a bad yeah, spot. Yeah. That's not well, a bad it. spot in it. the pecking order. You beat mom. Yeah. Uh, it's true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my, kids, uh, my kids would probably argue that sometimes Rachel gets to come first. <laughs> but it's, but you know what? In these study books that we create that we love so much, these physical books themselves are going to pass away. The words in them, Nope. Never pass pass away. away. That's why we're so passionate about what we get to do. Mm -hmm. Our day job is really fun because the words we work with Mm -hmm. will never pass away. This, and we've said it, this day five is such a good culmination of the week and of this concept of the already and the not yet. Having been inaugurated through Christ, this is not scripture, these are words in our study book. Having been inaugurated through Christ, God's already active kingdom will be fully established when Jesus returns. So even the establishment of the kingdom isn't already and not yet. It it was established, we see it in the Old Testament, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it will not be fully consummated, fully established until Jesus returns. And I just encourage it. We don't have time to read through everything, but goodness, it's so good. The scripture is selections are so, so rich in this plan. I just mm-hmm. encourage you guys to open your Bibles, hop on the site, the app, and read through it with us this week. Yeah, that's right. What you got, so Ray? Where should we land this Listen, I mean, like, I kind of want to land in Romans 14. You mean Romans A? No, Romans 14. I don't know. I kind of love it. But I also have a question for Matt and related because you said, can you have a favorite piece of scripture? And Matt, to you quietly said, yeah. And then (laughs) I wanted to know what his favorite piece of scripture was. My head is everywhere as we try to wrap this up. Oh, no, that's easy for me. It's Ephesians 3 uh, that we might know, right, in a way that supersedes knowledge, that we might be strengthened in our inner man 
So I'm constantly praying that passage to the Lord. I, I want to know in a way that surpasses my knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, especially your love and your beauty and your grace. And I want him to do that work in my inner man. I am cerebral and I need the Lord to give me grace to expand the emotive side of me, not just the passionate side of me. That yeah. That's always a blaze, I feel. But, <laughs> but man, just to expand the emotive side of me and to do that work in the deeper places, what Paul there calls the inner man. So mm-hmm. I'm constantly going to that passage. So That's good. I want to end us in Romans 14, and then we'll go from there. But starting in verse 16, it says, Therefore do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. And that feels like such a such a little launching pad into what we're going to talk about next week and the week following as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, what it looks like to build one another up, what to promote peace, what does it look like to oh, that's not be, be about eating and drinking, but the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm so excited. We've got, let's see, who's coming next week? Ellie Holcomb. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Our good buddy. Oh, yeah, our good buddy. And then after that, I think Lisa Turkers is going to join us land and chat with us. us, land the kingdom of God playing with us. Come on. Come on. It's going to be good. But Matt, hey, we have one quick tradition <laughs> on this podcast. I know. Um, though we are out of time, I'm doing it anyway. Listen, we spent an hour opening scripture and talking about the beauty, goodness, and truth that we found there. But now I want to ask you, Matt, where in your life are you seeing beauty, goodness, or truth that just points you straight to Jesus? Oh, man. We are in a season of renewal here at the church that I pastor. It's just been so sweet to watch people coming alive to the things that we're talking about today. Uh, We've been in a season, they're not all been like this, where it just feels like every time we want to baptize, there's a line. And so Mm. I'm just, I couldn't be happier in the Lord. I, I find what's funny is the more active all of that's gotten, the more I feel a pull to kind of get away and get quiet. Yeah. And yeah. so just got back in last night. We went out. We have a little place on the Brazos River here in Texas. And we just got just need to get out where it's quiet, be with the Lord and, you know, let this be what he's doing and not try to manage it. So Man, that, I'm just so pumped at the Lord being so kind to us. And there really is like a renewal happening at the village that I'm super excited about. I mean, praise the Lord for that. I love hearing yeah. that. I love Amen. hearing that the Spirit of God is at work where you Amen. are and that we can report to you that the Spirit of God yeah. is at work here where we are. All over are. the world. And that's right. That's beautiful. I love that. Well, listen, y'all listening, our friends, you know that you know if you're listening to this on the day it releases, you're only on Monday. You have all week stretched ahead of you to be women and <laughs> the men right. in the Word of God every day this week. And not just to get fat-headed. That is not the end. The goal mm-hmm. is not Bible reading. The goal is the presence of God. The goal is there the kingdom go. of God. Oh, you're going to see so much Jesus so in these much five Jesus reading days. And, and I, I hope it. it makes you want to run some laps. Come Listen, on. Uh, so come <laughs> back next week. But until then, Matt, what do we tell our friends? Well, you got to keep opening your Bible. 